Well, it's so great to start with some good news today. Raphael Warnock has defeated Herschel Walker in the Georgia Senate runoff. This means that Democrats will control the Senate 51 to 49 rather than 50-50. This has a number of important consequences, which we are, of course, going to talk about. But the big news is that it did not go the way of Donald Trump and of MAGA and of the Herschel Walker endorsement industrial complex wing of the Republican Party. Georgia Senate runoff election results. Warnock 51.4, Walker 48.6. Now, I am with everybody in the audience, in particular, many of our viewers from around the world who look at Herschel Walker and they say, how does this guy even have a shot in a state like Georgia with a population voting population in the millions? How does this guy not lose by 70, even as deranged and ignorant as the Republican Party electorate is in the United States? And of course, that horrifies me as well. This is a guy who shouldn't even have had a shot. And yet he came within under 100,000 votes in the runoff of becoming one of 100 senators in the United States. We're not going to fix the United States in that sense right here in this segment. So I won't dwell on that uh, too, too much. Democratic Senator Warnock wins Georgia runoff against Walker, reports the Associated Press. And indeed, now control of the Senate will be not only excuse me, I'm almost back from COVID, but not 100 uh, percent. It will be not 50 50, but it will be 51 to 49. And there are so many reasons that that is hugely important, which I will get to. But first, let's look at a couple of clips. Here are the calls from the three major networks. What does this look like statewide? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll let you take it from there because I think there's some news there. Uh, that check mark is a consequential thing. Uh, NBC News can now project that the winner of the Georgia U.S. Senate election tonight is incumbent Democrat Raphael Warnock. Democratic governor. Uh, we have seen changes all over Senator, the country. Senator, yes. we're going to interrupt you. I want to go to Jake for a, uh, an announcement. Excellent. That's right. We can now make a projection in the final Senate election of the 2022 midterm election. CNN projects the Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock will win re-election in the Georgia Senate runoff. Are right now, we're relying on the Associated Press to give us these numbers. And right now, the Associated Press has just given the check mark to Raphael Warnock. He's going back to the U.S. Senate as the winner of this runoff against Herschel Walker. Now, we will get back to that Fox News call because it actually happened at sort of a very, very interesting moment. Now, we did hear from both candidates, winner and loser alike, starting with the winner, Raphael Warnock. Take a quick listen. And after a hard fought campaign, or should I say campaigns? It it is my honor to utter the four most powerful words ever spoken in a democracy. The people have spoken. Very much so. And Raphael Warnock actually talking about a number of important points including the fact that just because he won doesn't mean there weren't efforts at voter suppression, which, by the way, is very different than saying it was rigged. I know that there were some Republicans seizing on this and saying, look, 
Republicans aren't the only ones who say it was rigged. That's not what Warnock is saying. There are those who would look at the outcome of this race and say that there's no voter suppression in Georgia. Let me be clear. Just because people endured long lines that wrapped around buildings some blocks long, just because they endured the rain and the cold and all kinds of tricks in order to vote, doesn't mean that voter suppression does not exist. It simply means that you, the people, have decided that your voices will not be silenced. Yeah. And of course, there were attempts to suppress the vote. And we know what these are. Georgia's an epicenter of these. Try to reduce early voting. They did this when it came to the period after Thanksgiving. We covered it on the award-winning bonus show, of course. Oh, the bonus show where you want to make yeah. money. Everybody else that makes money to fund themselves is bad. Now, we also heard from the loser who was Herschel Walker. And there was a question as to whether Herschel Walker would have any idea what's even going on. Like, how does he even give a concession speech? And he sort of did, and he said something about the numbers aren't adding up for him. We've had a tough journey, have we not? But one of the things I said is they, when they called the race, I said the numbers doesn't look like they're going to add up. Right. But one of the things I want to tell all of you is you never stop dreaming. I don't want any of you to stop dreaming. I don't want any of you to stop believing in America. I want you to believe in America and continue to believe in the Constitution and believe in our elected officials most of all. Well, that belief is slightly reinforced by the fact that this guy, fortunately, is not going to be a, a U.S. senator. Continue to pray for them because all the prayers you've given me, I felt those prayers. Mm. I want to thank. Apparently, they were not quite enough. All my team as well, Team Herschel, because they put up with a lot. And I want to thank Team Herschel. Thank all my donors as well, because you guys, without you, I couldn't have done what I've done. Yep. So a sort of uh, concession speech from Herschel Walker and then maybe the most important point reminding himself he's still sort of a winner, right? Hey, I'm a winner and we all winners. So we're all winners. And that's what I want to say. We're all winners. And I want to say God is a good God. Yep. Everybody won at the end of the day. Everybody won at the end of the day. Um, Donald Trump's reaction, not pleased, tweeting in of uh, tweeting. Trothing, of course, on Truth Social. Truth Central. Our country is in big trouble. What a mess. Now the importance of 5149 rather than 5050. Because either way, it would be a Democratic majority because Kamala Harris in a 50-50 tie is the tie-breaking vote. And she still would be the tie-breaking vote if there is a 50-50 tie in the Senate. But 5149 means Democrats don't have to negotiate a power sharing arrangement with the Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. That's a great thing. Number two, there's no one senator veto power. OK, now it's two. So at 50 50, Joe Manchin alone or Kirsten Cinema alone become sort of one senator vetoers. Now there's no one senator veto power. It's two, but that's still a better situation. Committees is the third issue because of the current power sharing agreement with the equal Senate split. 
any tie on a committee goes to a full Senate vote. Now, Democrats still have the majority, but if you have a committee with 16 members and you have an eight and eight uh, split and you have an eight to eight vote, that committee vote now has to go to the full Senate, where if it's 50-50, in comes Kamala Harris and breaks the tie. It's just going to be much faster because having a majority on the committees, more than likely uh, Democrats will have a one seat majority on every committee. You skip that entire dog and pony show. Still, it's a majority either way, but it would be much more annoying with the 50 50. Um, And it just makes everything faster. And then also the uh, subpoena issuing process will be much stronger because you won't really need bipartisan support to issue subpoenas. That's important. And if there were to be a Supreme Court vacancy, we don't know it always you just don't know it depends on who that who's the nominee and what's the process when does it happen but it's always better to have more seats in the event that there is a supreme court vacancy or even another potential judicial vacancy so very important maga in shambles and we will talk about that but first let's talk about Laura Ingram on Fox News who had a really bad night last night there's this amazing moment uh last night from Fox News where uh, Laura Ingram is ranting and raving and all of a sudden it doesn't go well for Herschel Walker and she kind of loses it. So first and foremost, uh, let's go to the moment at uh, which uh, Laura Ingram is ranting and raving and kind of ginning up a conspiracy theory of some kind. And then um, all of a sudden it's announced that Herschel Walker has lost. Check this out. Guys, uh, uh, we appreciate it, Bill. Uh, stay with us. All right. Uh- Sorry, this is not the right clip. Here is the right clip. But why is it that the heavily Democratic counties are always the last ones to report very suspicious isn't it bill hammer i I mean presumably they count they count and their numbers and they count there are more people obviously but it seems like it kind of this is i hate to say this is just a familiar refrain but it's a very familiar refrain to us isn't it suspicious election night pass to just the midterms uh, yeah, etc. I'm going to say that that's that's where you find the people. Um, that's where they live. <laughs> and Laura, right now, we're relying on the Associated Press to give us these numbers. And right now, the Associated Press has just given the check mark to Raphael Warnock. <laughs> He's going back to the U.S. Senate as the winner of this runoff against Herschel Walker. Right now, at 50.4 percent to Walker's 49.6. Raphael Warnock has won the runoff in Georgia four weeks after. I just love that as Laura Ingram is starting to go all conspiratorial. I don't know. The blue areas take longer to give us their votes. Sorry, Laura, let me interrupt your conspiracy to mention that Herschel Walker has lost this race and Raphael Warnock has won. Now, later on in the night, Laura Ingram is clearly very worried. And this is this really is a pleasure to watch. I wanted to start this at the 125 mark, which is here. Take a listen. Made and yeah, nothing seems to be changing. But you didn't see a lot of enthusiasm down there. Of course, the spending was completely three to one. Yeah, it was just look at how close it was. Though I mean, in the end, what did we say? This was winnable, Kellyanne. I know you don't want any change. You you want Ron McDaniel. I like Ron McDaniel. Isn't this like a a warning sign flashing? Are we just going to keep? Oh, Laura's worried, and she should be doing the same thing all over again every single election. Kevin McCarthy won the House. He won the House. Yes, he did, and we were outspent three to one here. Why? No excuse. There's no excuse in Georgia 
for us not to have done what Brian Kemp did. Yes, he's the incumbent governor. He's very popular. He's running against Stacey Abrams. But he turned out over his micro-targeting plan, his grassroots people, and I guess uh, Mitch McConnell's group funded it. But they did that in the last couple of days. They funded it? Should have been it? Done what four did, weeks ago. did Mitch McConnell... All right, so Laura Ingram visibly worried, and then it gets a little tense with Kellyanne Conway. She is not taking the loss well, and she's starting to take it out on Kellyanne Conway, which I love. We don't bank ballots early. We're going to keep right, losing. But we didn't. This not, not, but we didn't. But we didn't do it in 2020 because everyone said don't vote early because that's corrupt. Not so, everyone. Well, yes, uh, well big, a lot of people did people at did. the very top of the Republican Party. Yes, you didn't. People did. But Molly, and Mitch we, McConnell did give $11 million <laughs> to the effort. That's $14 million to the effort in Georgia. But where was the all hands on deck? You got Lindsey Graham. He was there. He did a lot. Every senator should have been there. Every female senator so, should have been there. But why? I'm going to ask the question tonight. Nobody wants to talk about this. Why weren't they down there? Right. We don't think well, about- part of it is Herschel Walker was a disastrous candidate and Republicans, as it became clear that this, the December 6 runoff was no longer necessary for Democrats to control, because Democrats were going to control the Senate either way. Once that became clear, some Republicans who are marginally more tethered to reality realized This guy's a humiliating candidate. He can't speak. He can't think. He's a hypocrite. He's going around urging women to get abortions, even though he says he's against abortions. And he's saying he's a police officer when he's not. And he's saying he trained with the FBI when he didn't. And on and on and on. Why are they going to hitch their wagon to this horse? Why are they going to go out on a limb when either way they're not going to have control of the Senate if Herschel Walker wins? That's why they weren't there. And uh, it was a complete and total disaster. But, you know, in a normal country, Walker never would have even won a primary. He was only even there because of the atrocity that is the Republican Party. So a tough night for Laura Ingram. It is what it is. Fortunately, we are now beyond this. Democrats will control 51 to 49. It gives a little bit more, you know, calmness to some hypothetical scenarios. Republicans will have the House and we're going to have an obstruction filled two years. We will take a quick break. Make sure you are subscribed on YouTube. It is free. We need your subscription on YouTube. You can vote multiple times on YouTube. When it comes to elections, you can't. You get one vote. Many people have a couple Google accounts You can subscribe to the YouTube channel with each and every account. It's completely legal. You won't go to jail even if you get caught. YouTube.com slash The David Pakman Show. Help us get to 2 million subscribers. We're going to take a quick break. And I have so many other things to cover with you today. I love reading. I read every day. No matter how I arrange my schedule, I never have enough time to read all the books that I want, which is why Blinkist has been such an important part of my life for years now. Our sponsor Blinkist is the app that takes thousands of nonfiction books, boils them down into an explainer that you can read or listen to in just 15 minutes, which includes all the most important takeaways from the book. With Blinkist, I can absorb the essence of 15 different books in an afternoon so I can quickly gather insights from all sorts of perspectives, make connections, have those kind of aha moments that don't happen so easily, which is why I feel enriched when I use Blinkist. Blinkist also summarizes episodes of popular podcasts into 15 minute explainers. And with the Blinkist Connect feature, 
my girlfriend and I can share one account, share books, podcasts with each other, talk about them on the go. And don't forget, Blinkist makes the perfect holiday gift. My audience can try Blinkist free for seven days and get 25% off after that. Go to Blinkist.com slash Pacman. That's B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash Pacman. The link is in the podcast notes. One of our sponsors today is BetterHelp. Uh, viewers of the show, listeners know I'm a big advocate of therapy. Uh, I think it's important to make it more accessible, remove any stigma that might be associated. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. And therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest, figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. BetterHelp is therapy done entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. Fill out a brief questionnaire. You'll be matched with a licensed therapist. Switch therapists anytime at no additional charge. I'm a huge believer in talk therapy and BetterHelp is making it more accessible to more people. You can even find a therapist who specializes in certain areas, which maybe you can't find where you are geographically. There are lots of great benefits to doing therapy online. Get it off your chest. Visit BetterHelp. Go to BetterHelp.com slash Pacman show today to get 10 percent off your first month. That's better. H.E.L.P. dot com slash Pacman show. The link is in the podcast notes. Our sponsor, Real Paper, makes toilet paper 100 percent from bamboo, never from trees, meaning no deforestation. Sustainability and climate change can be a tricky topic for people of all ages. It can be particularly challenging to talk about with kids. And Real Paper recently launched the Little Lemurs box, a 24 pack of their bamboo toilet paper with a beautifully illustrated kids book that tells an exciting story of sustainability. The box is designed to spark creativity in kids, create an opportunity to talk about deforestation, plastic pollution in a way that's light and easy. And with the holidays here, the book makes a great gift for a little one on your list. Real Papers, Little Lemurs box and all of the other products are available in easy, hassle free subscriptions or just simple one time purchases on their website. All orders are conveniently delivered to your door with free shipping in. This is the best part. One hundred percent recyclable plastic free packaging. Go to realpaper.com slash lemur and sign up for a subscription using code Pacman at checkout to get 30 percent off your first order and free shipping. That's R E E L paper.com slash L E M U R. Code Pacman gives you 30% off and free shipping. The info is in the podcast notes. Folks, now is the time as we have gotten beyond the 2022 midterms, 2024, and what are going to be two years of obstruction are now in focus. We need to build the ecosystem and the infrastructure. And whether it's this show or other progressive shows, I would encourage you support someone that you think is doing good work. If you want it to be this show, I'd be flattered and you can sign up at joinpacman.com. We do an extra show every single day for our paid members. We offer a commercial free audio and video stream of the show, custom private podcast URL, uh, members only town halls, so many exciting things. 
Sign up at joinpacman.com. You can use the coupon code 24 starts now to get yourself a discount. All right. I, I want to look at a couple different things uh, that my colleague John actually sent me. Some of you may remember this uh, black MAGA pastor, Jesse Lee Peterson. He's been on the program before. I've been on his show before in Los Angeles, California. He recently was involved in, I think it's fair to call it a scandal, where despite leading a life of public homophobic advocacy about being gay is bad and immoral and all these different things. It appears that Jesse Lee Peterson himself is is gay and um, uh, this exploded in controversy several months ago. Somehow, Jesse Lee Peterson ended up on the Dr. Phil show. Now, I'm going to be totally upfront. I, I don't think much of the Dr. Phil show. And in fact, I had some back and forths with them about two months ago about having me on. They wasted my time. They were completely disrespectful of my time, asking me to do a pre-interview and a video vlog explaining my views, a uh, a filling out, providing answers to dozens of questions. Then they never even told me, hey, turns out we're not going to have you on. Just never even followed up. One of the most unprofessional outfits I've ever dealt with. And yet, I'm still going to play this for you with peace and love because it is so absolutely fascinating. Jesse Lee Peterson somehow ended up on the Dr. Phil show. And by the way, this guy on the screen right now is not Jesse Lee Peterson. Uh, I'm aware of that. Um, And he just said vile and disgusting things that actually made an audience member cry. Let's just jump right into this first clip. The, The topic was, is it smart to have children? Now, in the background of all of this with Jesse Lee Peterson, is his personal situation where he says he sell he told me he was celibate because he's not married and it turns out it's not just that he's not married to a woman it's 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 that he's actually gay and is hiding these relationships it's crazy let's just jump right in i uh, disagree with all this crap that i hear i grew up with six brothers and seven sisters at a time when you know i grew up on By the way, it's funny that they identify him as radio host and pastor, which is like so banal and anodyne in the context of how whacked, completely whacked this guy is. Plantation in Alabama. And we grew up in a little hut house, bathroom outside. And we, my family uh, raised an amazing family, children. But what the difference was then and it is now is that before you had babies, you got married. Ah. So you have the father and the mother in the home. And while the father's out earning a living, the mother's watching over his children. And so you were- This entire routine is so extra hypocritical and ridiculous and absurd, given what we now know about Jesse Lee Peterson personally. It's stunning that he still goes around and says this stuff with a straight face. Able to raise decent children. We didn't have government in our lives at the time. And so we were able to do that. And in America, we were not allowed all these illegal aliens and refugees to come into our country. So our government were not taking care of folks from other parts of the world and the families in America. We took care of ourselves. I think you've... (laughs) Oh, my God. People in the audience visibly rolling their eyes, but eventually they cry. Pretty much pissed off everybody, Um, but you you said, you said there's not anything you've heard that you don't think is crap. So what do you think? think You said what you don't think. What do you think? I know that we need to restore the family. We need a smaller government 
because government don't make anything work. Understand that the family Jesse Lee Peterson says must be restored, which is a man and a woman married, having many children, is something that he himself doesn't actually live by because it appears as though he's a gay man, which is fine. But he spent decades shaming gay men. It's absolutely disgusting. And then a little bit later in the show, his comments actually so vile that they make audience members who are immigrants break down in tears. What do you want to say? I would like to speak to you guys directly, you two, um, to your point that poor children are the worst in the world and that immigrants are also not a good thing for this country. I'm someone who grew up in an orphanage in Russia. I lived there for 12 years and then I came to the United States and I've been working countless hours at sorry at the um, LA Food Bank and in the um, skid row. And I just think it's so messed up what you guys are saying. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be crying. It's okay. <laughs> Just talk through the tears. I want to hear what Dr. Phil's like, please, no, cry more. Keep talking as you cry. It's good for the ratings. What do you have to say? I'm someone who came from Russia and I've been putting in countless hours working, volunteering for people in Skid Row. But what you don't so just realize. Just an example to you that we are not the worst people in the world. Can I ask how old you are? you 31, right? I've been mentoring young guys since I was 18 from the ages of 14 through 24. Yeah, I grew up in the inner city of Detroit. There's this weird thing about the Dr. Phil show where so we know Jesse Lee Peterson is completely vile. I don't know that we need too much of a commentary on that. There's this weird vibe on the Dr. Phil show where it's sort of like they try to present it like a serious show, but it kind of has like Jerry Springer, Maury Povich vibes. And I don't know. It's it's like every detail, something about the way it's filmed, something about the lighting and the color temperature, the lower thirds and the, the font even. I, I can't exactly put my finger on what it is, but it just feels like one of those types of shows, even though it kind of seems like they're taking themselves seriously. Bizarre stuff. I don't even know how much. Dr. Phil's people knew about Jesse Lee Peterson when they had him on, but quite literally saying things so disgusting, they make members of the audience cry. Strange and bizarre stuff. A, a Republican focus group very clearly turned on Donald Trump. This is fascinating stuff. Uh, many of you know pollster and focus group leader Frank Luntz, who has been uh, working on and, and uh, testing messaging and language and ideas for the Republican Party for a very long time. And recently, uh, this is about 10 days old at this point in time, um, he did a focus group with Republican voters taking their temperature now beyond the midterm, midterm elections about Trump and about Trump versus DeSantis. This focus group, and of course, with any such focus group, there's a question of how representative is the focus group really? It's anecdotes. You're not going to get with just a couple dozen or a dozen people, you're not going to get a fully representative sample of some of a group as large as the Republican voting base. But it's interesting anecdotally, nonetheless. Take a listen to what some of these folks say. First, one word or phrase that you use to describe Donald Trump right now. Uh, stay off Twitter. <laughs> Jamie from Iowa. I was just going to say the same thing. Um, you know, his new one that he's on. I think he needs to take a break from that one. Becky. A narcissist. <laughs> Lisa. Keep doing what you're doing. Hmm. Andrew. <sighs> Tired. John. Unsettling. Melody. 
High hopes. Marie. Mistake. John from North Dakota. Unrelenting. <laughs> Kathy. Still right. Eric. Divisive. Jim. Um, overdone. John from Georgia. Fighter. David from California. Racist. Jeff from Texas. Sanctimonious. Oh. Stacy from Indiana. Businessman. Nancy from Illinois. Uh, calculated. I'm going to do the same thing now with the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis. I'm going to go in the exact opposite order. Right. Uh, promising. Hmm. Stacy from Indiana. Oh, geez. Um, interesting. Jeff from Texas. Badass. Kathy from Pennsylvania. A leader. Eric from North Carolina. Hopeful. Jim from Indiana. Rising. Dave, John David from Georgia. I'd say the same thing. Fighter. David from California. Promising. Andrew from South Carolina. Leader. John from California. Visionary. Melody from Washington. Amazing. Marie from New York. The future. John from North Dakota. No apologies. Lisa from New York. Gutsy. Becky from Virginia. Future of the party. Jamie from Iowa. Refreshing leader. Hmm. Gregory from Nevada. Future of the party. So, Frank so that is pretty interesting. Now, of course, it's completely anecdotal, but that sentiment, increasingly tired of Trump, sick of the antics, sick of the posts and the like, mirrored by what we are seeing in the polls, increasingly pointing more towards the idea of Ron DeSantis as the future of the party. Now, as I've said before, I don't know that this is any big party to write home about, because if DeSantis were to become the next president of the United States, there is no doubt in the world that he would be about as dangerous as Trump in terms of ideas, but far more dangerous in terms of his ability to execute because he's less incompetent. Um, uh, uh, that's the the risk. And so when we think about the 2024 Republican primary, not that we vote in it by and large, the question of who do we prefer when the primary has to be contextualized in who are we worse off if they actually become president of the United States. And in a way, an 80 year old incompetent Trump to me seems less acutely dangerous than Ron DeSantis. And I'm willing to have my mind changed and my feelings may evolve over the course of the primary. Remember, the, a primary in which Ron DeSantis has not even yet said he's participating. But I want to hear from you. Leave a comment. Send an email info at davidpackman.com. Send a tweet, however you want to get in touch, smoke signals, telegrams, etc. Let me know what you think about this. Who would actually be more dangerous if they became president? I want to hear from you. We will um, look at some uh, uh, comments on an upcoming episode of the show. Quick break, and then we will come back. We're going to talk about 17 guilty verdicts against the Trump organization. That's a big story and so much more. 
When you're working during the day, when you're on the go and you're in the mood for something sweet, don't reach for the candy bar. Go for something that's just as good, but without the sugar and carbs. Our sponsor Monk Pack makes delicious keto granola bars and nut and seed bars. They're tasty, crunchy, gooey, sweet and salty. I love them. But each bar has only one gram of sugar, two to three net carbs, and about 150 calories. Perfect if you're doing keto or low carb or low sugar. You can have a treat that feels indulgent and satisfying without the guilt. Monk Pack comes in flavors like sea salt dark chocolate, caramel sea salt. They just launched two new flavors I love, peanut butter cocoa chip and dark chocolate cocoa. My favorite thing is the texture. I've tried a lot of these nut bars, granola bars. Monk Pack is superior. If you don't agree, you get your money back and it is the perfect holiday gift. Go to monkpack.com and get 20% off your first order with the code Pacman. That's M U N K P A C K.com. Use code Pacman for 20% off. The info is in the podcast notes. Major breaking news over the last 24 hours, including 17, 17 guilty counts for the Trump organization in this massive New York investigation that has been going on for some time. It involves Trump's former CFO, Alan Weisselberg. This is a major story which has instantly triggered the failed former president. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's go through it piece by piece. New York Times reports Trump organization found guilty in tax fraud scheme. The former president's company had been accused of providing off the book benefits to executives. The testimony of its former chief financial officer proved crucial to the case. So what exactly is it that happened? The conviction on all 17 counts after more than a day of jury deliberations in state Supreme Court in Manhattan stemmed from the company's practice of doling out off the books perks to executives. They receive luxury apartments, leased Mercedes Benzes, extra cash at Christmas, even free cable television, and they paid taxes on none of it. This is a very simple thing. Uh, my accountant has talked to me about how this works many, many times before. Imagine that you have something very simple, okay? You have your business leases you a car, a beautiful vehicle, uh, drives you around, four wheels, tires, the entire thing can go forwards and backwards, okay? Gets you where you need to go. Let's imagine the leases to pick a number $500 a month, which is $6,000 for the year. The business pays the $6,000. It's a business expense for the business, $6,000 in lease costs. But if that vehicle is only available to one person, really it's considered a fringe benefit. And that $6,000 should be added to that individual's W-2 and then you pay taxes on it. You don't get the six grand, you get a lease worth $6,000 and then you pay taxes on that $6,000. Now, $6,000 is very quaint because what we're talking about here is luxury apartments. I believe at issue also was educational expenses for family members of Alan Weisselberg and potentially others. So you're talking about a lot more money. This is classic stuff. And the idea that this is obscure or in some way petty is absurd. Any reasonable accountant will tell you, you know, this is the way that it has to go. 
Um, going back to the article, the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, which prosecuted the case, previously obtained a guilty plea from the architect of the scheme, Alan Weisselberg, the longtime CFO. And Weisselberg ultimately te- testified as the prosecution's star witness, but never implicated Trump. Very important. Prosecutors didn't charge Trump, but they invoked him throughout the trial, telling jurors he paid for some of the stuff and even approved a basic as- a crucial aspect of the scheme. Importantly, the verdict carries limited financial repercussions and will not directly threaten to imperil Trump's company. But the conviction and the prosecution's explosive claim and closing arguments that Trump was, quote, explicitly sanctioning tax fraud could reverberate during his nascent 2024 presidential campaign and provide fodder for political opponents. So 17 guilty verdicts, but not going to imperil Trump's company. Here's the report from MSNBC as the news came in. ...scheme that would basically right. try to compensate top right. executives or help these execs avoid heard. paying a goat. Well, what is it? Guilty on all counts. We have a verdict. It is guilty on all 17 counts. Uh, just in moments ago, after about 10 hours of deliberations, and you're right, Hallie, this is a case against the Trump Corporation, two entities of the Trump Corporation. There were no named individuals. Former President Donald Trump was not named, but certainly this, this is his family company. This is his livelihood. This is his business. This is his reputation. This is all things Donald Trump, except him being named as a defendant in this case, you might say. So that is from MSNBC. CNN also had the report of the verdict. What do you know? Well, Victor, that's right. The jury just returned a verdict guilty, guilty on all counts against both Trump Corporation entities. That means that the jury, after two days of deliberations and four notes today, came back with this decisive verdict, unanimous, guilty on all counts. Now, remember, the two Trump Organization entities were accused of being involved in a 15-year tax fraud scheme where they gave their executives, certain executives, off-the-books compensation that was corporate apartments uh, that were rent-free. That was company cars. That was private school tuition for Alan Weisberg, the chief financial officer's grandchildren. The jury finding the companies were guilty on that. Now, Donald Trump, former president, was not charged in this case, but its name did come out at the trial, including on closing statements. One of the prosecutors saying that he believed that Donald Trump had sanctioned some of this tax fraud. Of course he did. And as Michael Cohen has spoken about many times, Uh, Trump knew exactly what was going on. 17 guilty verdicts. Let's now go to Donald Trump's reaction. As predicted by anyone who has been following the way Donald Trump behaves for the last many years, upon the verdict of 17 guilty counts for Donald Trump's organization in this massive fraud case out of the Manhattan District Attorney's office, Donald Trump explodes. First and foremost, the message posted to Twitter by Donald Trump's Soviet style PR person, Liz Harrington, and Trump in all caps calling it the Manhattan witch hunt, putting out the following statement. And I it's always physically demanding to read these things, quote, disappointed with the verdict in Manhattan, but will appeal after looking at millions of pages of documents over many years, much to the detriment of record setting murder and other forms of violent crime that are taking place in New York City. Those are unrelated things. The government 
capital G was able to get an employee to quote plea. Why is plea in quotes? I don't know. That's quite literally what happened in order for a very reduced sentence. This case was about Alan Weisselberg committing tax fraud on his personal tax returns, etc., with he and every witness repeatedly testifying that President Trump and the Trump family with a capital F knew nothing about his actions, which he admits were done solely for his own benefit and with no benefit to the two companies. Why would capital C corporations, which knew nothing about Weisselberg's personal tax returns, be prosecuted for that person's conduct? There was reliance by us on a then highly respected and expensive accounting firm and law firm to do this work. The accounting firm also did his personal returns, which we are not even allowed to legally view. This case is unprecedented and involved no monetary gain to these two capital C corporations. It is the continue continuation of the capital greatest political witch hunt in the capital H history of our capital C country. New York City is a hard place to be, quote, Trump, as businesses and people flee our once capital G great capital C city. Uh, None of that making a lot of sense. And the fear, of course, in Trump is that all of this stuff is getting closer and closer. Trump not implicated directly here in a legal sense. But of course, Trump knows everything that goes on in his businesses and 17 guilty verdicts against Trump is understandably and expectedly triggering to the failed former president. And this was not the only bad news for Donald Trump yesterday, because we learned that the Trump riot committee will indeed be making criminal referrals. The January 6th House committee investigating the Trump riots isn't going to last much longer. And the reason is that the House is being taken over by Republicans in January because Republicans won the 2022 midterms in the House. See how I say that without any qualifications. See how I just say Democrats won the Senate, but Republicans won the House. I don't have to rant and rave and say because of rigging or because of fraud or fraud or because of seasoned ballots or smoked ballots or sauteed or sous vide ballots. Just Republicans won the House and Democrats won the Senate. See how easy it is for me to say that? OK, because that's what happened in November um, and, and really anyway, because Congress is ending and any investigative committees would have to be reconstituted in the next Congress. The January 6th committee of the House is going to end, but it is not yet over. They told us some months ago that they would come back with a couple of final hearings sometime before the end of the year. I don't know if that's still going to take place. But yesterday there was a very important bit of news that was announced. The House January 6th committee has decided to make criminal referrals. Let me remind you so we're all on the same page. One of the guidelines of House committees, remember, the House of Representatives, uh, the House of Representatives has investigative duties and responsibilities and abilities. They do not have primary criminal referral responsibility, meaning the House is not supposed to take on an investigation primarily or solely to determine whether criminal activity took place. However, it is well within the purview of the House of Representatives investigative uh, duties to make criminal referrals if in investigating whatever they are investigating, they come across what they believe to be 
based on the advice of the lawyers that work with them, criminal activity. That is exactly what the House committee says it found. CNN reports the House Select Committee investigating the January 6, 2021 attack on the U.S. Capitol has decided to make criminal referrals to the Department of Justice, according to Congressman Benny Thompson. Thompson's a Mississippi Democrat and said the committee has not yet narrowed down the universe of individuals who may be referred. Of course, that's code for we've not yet ruled out a criminal referral against the failed former president, Donald Trump. Asked whether Thompson believed any of the witnesses perjured themselves, he said, quote, that's part of the discussion. When the panel makes referrals, Thompson said it will be a separate document from the panel's final report that will be sent to the DOJ. A select committee spokesperson confirmed to CNN that criminal referrals will be considered as a final part of the panel's work. The spokesperson said, quote, the committee has determined that referrals to outside entities should be considered as a final part of its work. The committee will make decisions about specifics in the days ahead. A source tells CNN the criminal referrals the January 6th committee will ultimately be making, quote, will be focused on the main organizers and leaders of the attack. So one of the major obvious pressing questions is, is Trump seen in this particular context by this committee based on the work they've done as one of the main leaders and organizers of the attack? And if so, is there going to be a criminal referral directly to Donald Trump? Now, it's important to remind people, I have no interest in aggrandizing or minimizing what may or may not take place here. The question, of course, if the DOJ receives a criminal referral from the House of Representatives for Trump is whether they actually decide to charge him. There's no guarantee just because a criminal referral is made that Trump is actually going to be charged. Perjury also, if indeed it took place uh, by those who did testify, um, if there are if perjury took place, it would be nice to see perjury charges, which are very difficult to prove. Um, but we just don't know about that. Uh, many people writing to me and saying, David, do you know if the referrals will be made public or will it be behind the scenes? My understanding from looking at this article and others is that it will be a separate document that will contain the referrals, but it will be made public, that the evidence is public, the testimony has been public, and the referrals will also be made public. Now, I want this all to move quickly. We all do. It's been years with a lot of this stuff. At the same time, it makes sense that the January 6th committee has taken a measured approach. They've calculated it. They've done everything by the book. There was strategy and it shows. And this really was carried out in a way that despite and in the context of massive Republican obstruction, because remember, there was initially a deal to have significantly more Republican uh, representation on this committee. And Republicans refused to participate because they wanted the committee to focus on different things. They had all sorts of rules that they wanted, which made no sense. So ultimately, the committee was assembled with a few Republicans, Adam Kinzinger, uh, uh, Liz Cheney. Um, is that all? Now, now I don't remember. Uh, but in any case, it was by their own doing that this was the format of the committee. Now we have a time limit. There's a new House led by Republicans, which will be sworn in within a few weeks. This is the end of the committee, but it may only be the beginning of the criminal part as far as the DOJ is concerned. Next step, let's see what the referrals show and then go from there. We will have all of today's stories and the clips and feedback and more 
on the Facebook page. Make sure you have liked The David Pakman Show on Facebook at facebook.com slash slash is important. And that's a forward slash, not a backslash. David Pakman Show. Quick break and be right back. Good habits have to be sustainable in order to become habits. It has to be something you'll actually do. And when it comes to nutrition, some people have hours to plan out every meal, their exact vitamin intake. I'm not doing any of that. I don't have the time. Here's what's sustainable for me. I start my day with just a single scoop of AG one from Athletic Greens. It gives me the entire day's worth of the 75 high quality vitamins, minerals and probiotics I want from whole food sources. It's just simple. It's just one scoop of AG one. I get all the nutrients I want. I don't have to do any math, use my protractor, my TI 83 or take a bunch of different capsules and pills. It's not some kind of wacky supplement making a bunch of crazy claims. You know, I would not promote something like that. AG one is just a simple product that does what it says it does. It gives you the daily nutrients and vitamins you likely want. Vitamin A, C, E, magnesium, zinc, potassium in one simple scoop. You keep your body nourished. You'll also get a free year supply of vitamin D, which I take in the winter, plus five free travel packs at athleticgreens.com slash Pacman. That's athleticgreens.com slash Pacman. The link is in the podcast notes. I'm going to show you an incredible, incredible video in which the mother of a fallen Capitol riot officer refuses to shake Mitch McConnell's hand, and so do others, and they walk right by. It's truly incredible stuff to see. As Newsweek reports, the mother of a fallen Capitol police officer refused to shake the hands of two Republican lawmakers during yesterday's congressional gold medal ceremony honoring the officers who defended the Capitol during the January 6 riot. Gladys Sicknick, the mother of Brian Sicknick, that was the U.S. Capitol officer who died of a stroke following the riot, did not accept a handshake offered by Mitch McConnell and by Representative Kevin McCarthy. They, of course, were part of the movement that led to the riots. We have the video here, and it is it's really something. Uh, I'm going to play it, and as you will see, uh, there are individuals here who um, first greet Chuck Schumer and uh, then they continue on by. You see that it is Schumer and then it is McConnell and then it is McCarthy. And you see Mitch McConnell stick out his hand and then you see people just walk by. You see people walk by. There is another. There is Gladys Sicknick. She walks by and then they just continue to walk by and Mitch McConnell standing there. He's really, you know, they say Joe Biden shook hands with the air. There is applause. It is really uh, Mitch McConnell there shaking hands with the air. Now, um, we actually heard from Brian's brother, Ken Sicknick, who was asked, what was that about? Why didn't you shake hands? And he says, well, it's pretty self-evident, but I'll tell you anyway. Take a listen to this. Self-explanatory, but, you know, they, they came out right away and condemned what happened on January 6th and whatever hold that Trump has on them, they've backstepped, they've danced, they won't admit to wrongdoing, not necessarily them themselves, but of Trump, of the rioters. I mean, people like, people like Louis Gohmann, who presented the American flag that was flown over the Capitol to a January 6th rioter and told them they were a patriot. 
It's disgusting. And now it takes away everything my brother's done. It takes away my brother, like the, the heroism my brother showed. You know, you don't think you don't think they deserve a handshake in this context? No. No, what are you even saying by shaking their hands? Like what it, what it, it really it actually doesn't make any sense. Because unlike Liz Cheney, they have no idea what integrity is. They can't stand up for what's right and wrong. But it's no, with them it's party first. Liz gave up her political career to do what was right and try to find the truth. She's, she, she's the one ray of hope, her and the whole committee, that they can show integrity, that they can show they actually care about process about democracy about everything that goes on and these guys are oh, as long as it's got a big r in front of it we're going to do whatever you do hard to argue against what he's saying and this entire January 6th riot fiasco, which now is going on nearly two years. I mean, we're getting closer to the two year anniversary of the riots. It feels like it was just yesterday. It has been emblematic of the absolute worst of the Republican Party. It's been emblematic of we just say stuff, but we don't really have values we stand by, uh, such as we're for law and order until hundreds of their supporters rioted, committing various crimes on January 6, 2021. All of a sudden they're defending those people. We are for uh, backing the blue and supporting law enforcement until all of a sudden the targets of their followers were Capitol Police. And, And of course, as we know, with the FBI, that's also been a popular target as well. Every single one of these stated principles and values that they hold dear and they love to talk about here are our principles and they we can the Constitution. Well, they want the Constitution thrown out. That was part of what the riots were for at the end of the day, whether overtly or implicitly, they wanted the person who won based on the process outlined by the Constitution to not get the office that they won. And they wanted the guy that lost Donald Trump to be the president. But we care about the Constitution. Well, not when it's inconvenient, but we support law enforcement. Well, not when it's inconvenient. We support law and order, not when it's inconvenient. And then now all of a sudden they say, oh, pretrial detention, the conditions these rioters are being held in are unfair. Well, we've been talking about that for over a decade on the program. And you insist, oh, listen, if you get charged with a crime, it's probably because you're guilty and you deserve whatever conditions there are. And you're too dangerous to be let out on pretrial. Uh, you, you have to be held in pretrial detention. Endless, endless. And uh, now this is the outcome. And fortunately or unfortunately or whatever, it's a lesson that they are learning, but that they're not really appearing to learn anything from. Fox News visibly and brazenly continues to lie about the Twitter bombshell Twitter files, which flopped softer than a wet noodle. Um, This one is going to be I I know that this isn't going to work as well for people just listening today because there's a visual component here. Play along for a moment and then I'll explain it all to you. I'm going to play a clip for you of Ted Cruz, Cancun Cruz, a senator from Texas, appearing on Fox News. This was uh, yesterday to talk about the Twitter files. And if you're watching, keep an eye on the screen and see if you can identify something weird on the screen. Let's listen and then we are going to discuss. 
Look, Jesse, what, what Elon Musk has released is evidence of corruption that goes to the highest level of government, it goes to the highest level of the FBI, and it goes to the highest level of big tech. We've known for a long time that big tech is censoring conservatives, but what Elon did here is he just laid naked all of the lies that the corporate media has told, because it's clear during the 2020 election, over and over and over again, the Biden, the Biden campaign and the DNC would reach out to their buddies at Twitter and say, hey, we don't like this. And their response is handled. And they take it down over and over and over again. And in particular, all of the exchange back and forth when the Hunter Biden laptop story broke, hmm. it was evidence that the leadership at Twitter knew within hours that, th that their ridiculous fake excuse that it was hacked was a ridiculous fake excuse. Wow. I mean, it's I don't know that there's anything true in what Ted Cruz is saying, but let me call your attention to a couple of different things. At the start of the segment, the title at the bottom of the screen that Fox puts up says Biden White House had direct line to Twitter censors. OK, what Biden White House? What Biden White House? This all took place in 2020 when Joe Biden was not the president of the United States. There was no Biden White House. Now, you want to write this off as some kind of technicality because it's really not. There is no such entity as the Biden White House unless you believe in some kind of strange time travel that Democrats had access to in 2020. Also, direct line. They had an email address. They had an email address. And as I've said before, if you want to make the case that a political campaign, not an administration, that a political campaign, the Biden campaign should have had to use the same system I have to use, right? Like, you know, on Twitter, we're on Twitter right now. If I don't like a tweet, I have to click the little thing and then report tweet, right? And I got to fill out a form and do a whole different thing. If you want to make the case that they should have had to do that rather than emailing someone at Twitter when revenge porn of Hunter Biden was posted. I'm glad to have that conversation with you. Maybe that's true. Maybe they should have to do the same thing I have to do rather than email someone. But that's not really a bombshell. That's a little issue around the edges. The main story here is not really a story. This was about content, nude images of Hunter Biden that he didn't release that violates Twitter's guidelines about revenge porn. It's content that was illegal in just about every state in the United States, and I believe against federal law as well, although I'd have to ref refresh my memory on that back from the start of the Hunter Biden story. Um, and, and the entire story, Biden White House didn't exist, direct line, it was an email address. This exposes corruption at the highest levels. Not really. Maybe they should have had to use the report tweet function rather than an email. It flopped. And again, I don't know if Ted Cruz knows it flopped, but is lying or doesn't realize that it flopped. Ted Cruz is smart enough to probably realize that. So I would lean on he's being dishonest rather than ignorant. But with Ted Cruz, you never really know. We have a voicemail number, and that number is 2192-DAVID-P. I had slash have COVID, as many of you know, Every day I've been doing a little bit better. My voice a little bit stronger every day. And our friend Eric from Mass, who has been warning me, I'm going to end up in prison. 
because of the things I said about the vaccine has a new message for me. And the message is the vaccine gave me covid apparently on a very long delay. Take a listen. Hey, David, I saw your video. You look pretty rough, man. You got covid from the vaccine. Uh, <laughs> You know, 80 and 90 percent, the Washington Post came out and said uh, people getting uh, COVID from people who uh, got vaccinated are getting COVID. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what, what he's talking about, but okay. Um, yeah, I hope you feel better, buddy. Um, told you not to get that shot. Yeah, uh, I am feeling better. And, you know, I said at the beginning of the week, I got emails from people saying, David, this is proof the vaccine doesn't work because you got covid anyway. And other people who wrote in and said, you should be glad you were vaccinated because you on average probably had a milder case now being beyond it, hopefully uh, barring any kind of rebound. If I really zoom out. I was very sick for about 26 hours. And it does seem completely plausible and in line with the science that the reason I was really only down in bed for 26 hours would be that I received this bivalent booster targeted specifically to Omicron just a couple of months ago. Now, listen, I'm right with everybody. When we talk about vaccination and we say, hey, you know what? We vaccinate kids against Hep B and they don't get Hep B. And we vaccinate kids against measles and they don't get measles. Yes, at some point, I hope and believe it obviously is the goal to get to a covid vaccine that is like that. Uh, but absent that, something that people end up hospitalized with and people die with. And at the end of the day, I was really sick with a fever 26 or 28 hours during which I watched four World Cup games in one movie. Um, completely plausible that that is indeed because of the vaccine. Obviously, this is a sample of one. I can't go back and have the covid without the vaccination to see how bad it would have been. I also have no interest in doing that. We have a voicemail number. I'm sorry, we, we have a bonus show today. That was the voicemail. We have a bonus show today. We're going to talk about the Taylor Swift uh, Ticketmaster fiasco. Interesting story about monopoly power big tech, so many different things. We'll talk about that. Cherokee Nation wants to send a delegate to the House of Representatives. We will talk about the context and the history of such representatives. And uh, Madison Cawthorn, outgoing failed member of Congress, Madison Cawthorn, has been directed to pay a fine for an improper cryptocurrency purchase. What is it all about? What did he do? What did he say? Why does he have to pay a fine? And does the House have the authority to make him pay such a fine? All of those stories when I am joined by producer Pat on today's bonus show. Sign up at joinpacman.com. It is a beautiful thing. <laughs> 